So uh, first things first, want to make sure that you're uh, invited to our sermon series uh, that we'll be launching starting next week, Not for Cowards. We're going to spend uh, five weeks focused on, on um, what it means to be a biblical, God-honoring parent and to raise um, biblical children in a way that honors God and, and that grows them to be children that honor God. And so we're going to talk a lot about that over the next five weeks. Want to make sure you're invited. Uh, there's some information about that series on this handout, uh, along with some other things uh, that I want to highlight for you. Just a couple things. If you're new uh, to Blessed Hope Community Church, or even if you've never been and, and you decide to come uh, to the church building for, for worship next Sunday, we have pizza with the pastor after the service. It'll be a good chance for you to sit down with the staff of the church, get to know us a little bit. Uh, we can explain some of the the ins and outs of the church and, and just spend a little time getting to know one another. Mother's Day, we have a, a really fun Mother's Day breakfast before the service where we will serve breakfast uh, to all the moms in the church and, and in the community that you want to invite. Uh, the week after that, it's our end of the year family carnival. So after the worship service, we'll have a grill out and some games and, and carnival things uh, for the kids. And that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then also uh, for you married folks, uh, we have a marriage night for you coming up in May. Um, it's, it's a chance to get away for dinner and, and for uh, uh, a simulcast marriage conference kind of a deal. It'll, it'll be well worth your time and investment if you want to uh, try to make it to that. So just a couple of quick announcements. If you didn't get one of these, grab it on the way. Uh, in a second, we're going to collect the offering this morning. Ask the ushers to come forward and prepare for that. I want to tell you, if you're visiting with us today, you are under no obligation to participate in this morning's offering. In fact, that, uh, that visitor card, um, that can be your offering today. We'd, we'd love to have a record of your visit, and I know that Pastor Dave mentioned that for every one of those that we get turned in, we'll make a donation back to Tilford Elementary School and, and the Vinton Community Schools um, uh, Student Fund so that they can, they can supply kids with things that they need. Okay? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind. And we come together um, most Sunday mornings and we acknowledge that you are good. And we come together um, on this very special Sunday morning and more um, than ever, we just celebrate the fact that you are a good and gracious God, that you love us. Not because there's anything awesome about us, but you love us because you are um, infinitely loving, eternally loving, because you have chosen to love us while we were unlovable, that you sent your one and only Son, Father, to take on the penalty for our sins, that willingly he laid his life down, but that, Father, he didn't stay dead. We thank you so much that through the power of your Spirit that he burst through the grave and he picked his life up again and he conquered death once and for all so that those of us that call his name and turn to him and follow him. Father, we are free from the bondage of sin and death. We thank you for that truth that we celebrate this morning. God, we ask you to take this offering. We ask you to bless it. We ask you to multiply it. We ask you to use it in such a way that we can bless our community and we can grow your kingdom. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. All right, so it's Easter. 
One person's excited, which is awesome. So this is the day that we celebrate and we remember the resurrection of Jesus. And as we begin this, I need us to understand, we all have to understand this, whether we have faith in Christ or not, the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest event that has ever happened in all time. Right? It is more significant and greater than anything else that has ever happened. And that's on a world scale or even on a personal scale. For me personally, for every human being, the resurrection of Jesus is the most significant event that has ever happened. It is more important and more significant than even my marriage date, my birth of my children. It is more significant than the Cubs winning the World Series. All right, we have to understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus, but we also have to understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus came out of that tomb, it sent shockwaves through all of eternity, through all of creation. Not only shockwaves through eternity, it sent shockwaves throughout all of time. The resurrection of Jesus is the most powerful and significant event that has ever happened. I say all that because some might be still saying at times, so, I mean, I grew up in the church, and the Easter to me was, I'll be blown about it, when I was a kid, Easter was, first thing was, where's my Easter basket, right? That was the first thing. The second thing was getting stuffed into the new Easter outfit, Right? And then it was going to church for a sunrise service. And it's like, it was bad enough, but now you're up at like 5.30 in the morning to go to a sunrise service. So Easter didn't really mean that much to me because all I was thinking about was what was going to take place after. We're going to go have the family stuff. We're going to go Easter egg hunts. We're going to go do all that kind of stuff. But as I've gotten older and my faith has grown and I started to understand, I started to answer the question, so what? So what is so important about the resurrection of Jesus? And some here might even be saying that same question, asking that same question, so what? What do I care of something that supposedly happened 2,000 years ago? What impact should that even have on my life? Why should that even be a big deal to me? What does it matter if Jesus is alive? Well, as we go through this sermon this morning and we talk about this, here's one of the things that I want you to hear real quick. If you're a person that's ever asked, what does it matter if Jesus is alive? Here's why it matters. There's going to come a day you're going to stand in front of him. That's why it matters. That's why it matters because he is not some God dead and buried somewhere. He is the God that reigns supreme and someday every human being is going to stand before him. And I'm going to meet the resurrected Jesus. You're going to meet the resurrected Jesus. We're going to see him. And let's just be blunt about it. For some, that's going to be a very joyous moment. And for some, not so much. But see, here's the thing as we talk this morning for Easter is this. When a person encounters the risen Christ, everything changes. See, see, here's what I want you to understand about this. When you truly experience the risen, Jesus, the risen Christ, the risen Jesus, when you experience Him and you know Him personally and you have that encounter with Him, it changes everything. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to look at some people that encountered Jesus and see the significance that it had and the change and the impact it had on their lives. And as we go through this, I would like us to 
be honest enough with ourselves to say who in this encounter, like which person, because we're going to look at some different characters in this encounter, because there's some different people that are involved here. I would like us to ask ourselves in a humble way to say which one or which ones do I relate with? In, in my life right now, which of these do I relate with? Because again, if you encounter the risen Jesus, everything changes. So we're going to look at some of these people. So let's look at a, the passage of Scripture here real quick. And, and so let's read through this, you know, follow as I read this. So Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd, a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So here's the thing. We never hear anything again about this woman. But I'm telling you, I guarantee you her life was changed forever in that one moment. Could you imagine looking into the face of God and hearing him say, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So we're going to talk just for a moment. I want to focus on the woman just for a moment. And then Pastor Matt's going to come out and he's going to focus on some of the other characters in the story. But I want to focus just on her and I want you to see something amazing about the God that sees us. Right? The God that is always looking upon us, the God that sees us at every moment of our lives, he, he looks upon us, he sees us, he, he's there with us no matter where we're at. And I want us to see some, some interesting things here from this story and, and this encounter with this woman. So here's the first thing I want you to understand. God sees past the accusations. And here's what I mean by that. God sees past the accusations. Here's this crowd. I want you to picture this. Here's this woman that obviously was, was doing something she shouldn't have been doing. She's in her house. She's, she's in Because they caught her in the act of adultery. Picture this. They bust in. They probably grabbed her in a very, um, in, in a condition she didn't want to be dragged out in public in. She probably wasn't clothed very much. They drug her through. They threw her down in front of Jesus. And they say she's guilty. She deserves judgment. In fact, she deserves death. Now here's the thing. All of that was true. They weren't saying anything that wasn't true. She was caught in the act of adultery and in sin. She did deserve punishment according to the law of Moses. She did deserve to be stoned to death. That was what was laid out for them. They were not saying anything that was not true. But see, Jesus, he sees past the accusations. And what I think is interesting, in Jesus, nobody knows what Jesus was writing, but I, I like to think this was what it was. When he stooped down, I have this feeling that maybe Jesus was writing out some of the Ten Commandments. Think about this. 
What's the first? You know, or maybe he was writing out the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, or mind. Maybe he was writing out, have no gods before me. Maybe he was writing, you know, do not commit adultery. Who knows what it was, but I just kind of picture Jesus writing some of this. And as he's doing that, he's basically saying, if you want to get into this trap of accusing her, how about I show you that I can accuse you too? And see, Jesus came not to condemn the sinner, but he actually came to free the sinner. Jesus didn't come to doom the sick. He actually came to heal them. That's why he's able to look past the accusations. Why is that important for us? Because some of us still live our lives burdened by accusations. Some of us still carry ourselves like I'm guilty. I deserve judgment. I deserve death. While hear me on this, that is completely true. I deserve judgment. I deserve death. I am guilty before a holy God, but Jesus came to free me. And through my faith in Jesus, I have been freed. He looks past the accusations. In fact, the beautiful thing about Jesus is he came to bring hope to the hopeless. Don't you think that woman was in a hopeless situation? In that moment, she thought she was going to die. And the Son of God gave her new life. The next thing I want us to see is God sees past the mess. Not only does he look past the accusations that come against us or the accusations we put against ourselves, but he actually sees past the mess also. Because here's the point. He looks at the crowd and after he writes in the dust, he looks at him and he says, you without sin cast the first stone. What Jesus was saying was, why are you so worried about her mess when you got your own? He's basically telling them, you're so concerned about her position before me, how about you be worried about yours? And instead of living in judgment upon her, why don't you put that back on yourself and deal with what you have to deal with? One of my favorite passages of Scripture is when Jesus says, he, he, he actually, and a lot of times we use this, hear me on this, don't we, we use this a lot. Actually, a lot of people use that other Scripture where we say, don't judge me right? You don't cast first stone. We also like to use the scripture that says, you know, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye, worry about the plank in your own. See, I agree with that, but one of the things I want you to understand here is Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't, don't worry about each other's business. What he's saying is, hey, deal with the plank in your eye so that you can see more clearly to help your brother take the speck out of his. What Jesus is saying is we all got a mess. The, the, the issue is, is we spend a lot of our lives and a lot of our effort to try to cover up our mess, right? It's kind of like we do this at our house. Whenever somebody says they're about to come over, we go into panic mode, and everything gets thrown into bedrooms. Do you know why? Because you can shut the door, right? So, so, but here's the thing. That's how a lot of us live our lives is we just try to keep the mess so nobody sees it. But Jesus is like, listen, I see the mess. I see it plain as day. I see it better than you do. So quit trying to hide it. Let's deal with it. That's what God says to us through the resurrection, the resurrection, the cross. It's God saying, let's deal with the mess. And let's clean it up. And let's get it gone. And that brings us to the last thing I want to say about this woman. Well, that's interesting. So what it... The last point is this, God sees you for the person he created you to be. 
See, that's the beautiful part about this. Jesus not only sees past the mess, he also sees the person that you're created to be. He's created you for a reason. He's created you for a purpose. He's created you for something amazing and awesome. And that was the same for this woman that was caught in adultery. She probably lived her life believing that she could never have anything better than that. This is what I deserve. This is the only value I have is to be mistreated by men. She probably lived her entire life in that lie. And Jesus looks at her and says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. The reason that is so powerful, because Jesus at that moment was freeing her from her old way of life. He's like, you don't have to live like that anymore. Go and sin no more. He wasn't saying that in a judgmental way. He wasn't saying that in a condemning way. He was saying that is, you have more purpose than this. And I see you for who I created you to be. So as we begin this time this morning, again, Pastor Matt's going to come out and he's going to share some more about some of the other characters. But I want you to kind of ask yourself, is it possible that some of us here can relate to the woman? We feel like the world just condemns us. The world just throws accusations at us. Maybe we do it to ourselves. Maybe we've had such a mess for so long, we don't think that anything can be done with it. We've just stuffed it. We hide it. We just pretend it's not there. Whatever it is, are we failing to see and experience the amazing life that God created for you? See, as we start talking some more about the resurrection, I want you to realize that's why Jesus came, because Jesus is like, listen, let's take care of the mess. Let's take care of the accusation. And let me get you to who I created you to be. It's an amazing truth that we all need to take hold of on a daily basis. So with that, I'll let Pastor Matt come out and continue. All right, so we, we keep going in this, and I, and I tell you what, I was, I was standing back there listening, and I was a little disappointed in y'all, uh, because if there was going to be an opportunity, I'm not sure what happened there. That's probably why it didn't happen. All the words are there. Here it is. God sees you for the person he created you to be. If you were going to say amen this morning. Now, if you're not a churchgoer, and it's Easter, and you're like, somebody made me come to church today. That would be weird for you, and I get it. But if you're a regular churchgoer, like, the word amen shouldn't be that, like, oh, like, we don't, it's okay. And if you were going to say amen, that's a statement that would garner an amen. So, there you go. Um, God sees you for the person that he created you to be. And I tell you what, that's good news. Because when we look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, I see a whole lot of things that aren't necessarily, I'm positive, um, that are true about me that God didn't create me to be. Oftentimes, I live in a space, and it's not what God wants from me. Some of you have heard, heard me tell you this story before, but John Acuff writes in his book, um, Stuff Christians Like, about, about the 10, 11-year-old kid who, for the first time ever, um, got to go to um, a, a friend's birthday party. He was a kid that didn't get invited very often, but he got to go to a friend's birthday party, and it was a, at a Chuck E. Cheese type of place. My goodness, are you guys roasting? I, I tried it. I, you know what? I took it off. Preach it, brother. I took it off. 
And then I thought, okay, I'm going out there. I'll put it back on. That's no joke, man. Whew. Anyway, he doesn't typically get invited, but he gets to go to the Chuck E. Cheese type place, right? And at the Chuck E. Cheese type place, there is the ice cream sundae bar. And so they go up to the counter and they get this big bowl of delicious looking, pristinely white vanilla ice cream. And then they go and there are the toppings, right? There is hot fudge, there is butterscotch, there's strawberry sauce, there's the marshmallow topping, there's nuts, there's fruit, there's chocolate chips, there's sprinkles, there's whatever you could want to put on the Sunday, And it's all laid out and you can have whatever you want and as much as you want. And he is overwhelmed. And so he walks up and down and he walks up and down and he's looking and he can't decide what he wants to do. And finally he decides that the first layer on top of his bowl of pristine, delicious looking vanilla ice cream has got to be butterscotch. It's got to be butterscotch. And so he goes to what he assumes is the butterscotch plunger. But unfortunately, he's wandered so far away from the ice cream bar that he's at the condiment bar now. And he takes that yellow plunger and with pride and excitement four or five times before he realizes that he has just covered his delicious opportunity for the Sunday bar with yellow mustard. And it's ruined. And a lot of times when we look in the mirror, that's what we see. Right? We, we think that we have got this, um, you know, partly locked up. And then we look in the mirror, we're like, you know what? My life isn't working the way that it's supposed to work. But here's the deal. When God looks at you through Christ, because of the resurrection, he sees you for the person that you were meant to be. See, so what happens is he's got this bowl of ice cream covered with mustard, and he is panic-stricken. What did I do? I've ruined it. He's almost in tears. But just then, right, um, a worker who sees what's happening swoops out from the back with a brand new bowl of ice cream, and he, and he goes to hand it to him and exchange it and take the old ruined bowl and give him the new fresh one. But, but here's, here's what the kid does, because he just is so devastated at his mistake. Here's what he says. He looks at the guy with all sincerity and he says, it's okay, I'll eat it. Because he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand how it works. And then what he does, he starts to walk away and he starts to stir it up. Because that, that'll make it better, right? He starts to stir it in. And the harder he stirs to try to take this and make it something good, the harder he stirs, the worse it gets. Instead of having ice cream with something bad on top that you could have at least just scooped, it just gets all mixed in and it's a bowl of mustard ice cream. And it's disgusting and it's gross and the best he can do is stir harder. And that, that's where the woman finds herself uh, and let's, let's see where everybody else finds themselves and we get into this. Pastor David um, told you that there, there are different attitudes in this story, um, and there's only one that works. I'm here to tell you, stirring harder doesn't work. Being brave enough to say, no, 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 it's okay, I'll eat it. 
that leads you nowhere good. There's only one attitude that works. Let's track this. The first attitude we see, the crowd was indifferent. We, we re, he read you this text. I'm going to reread it for you here in John 8. You can uh, turn in your Bibles if you brought them or look up here. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Okay? So, so here's Jesus, and he is doing what Jesus does. He, he gets, and he just starts talking. He starts teaching. And when Jesus starts teaching, people come running. Because people want to hear what Jesus has to say. He is the hot ticket in town, right? So wherever Jesus was, he was followed by a crowd. When Jesus wanted to be by himself, he had to disappear. He had to sneak away in the middle of the night to find time to pray, time for quiet. Because wherever he is, people are gathered around to hear the wisdom that Jesus is going to pour out. And so what's interesting to me is that as this happens, where they bring the woman accused of adultery, it's not just bringing it to Jesus as he's sitting by himself praying and doing Bible study. But Jesus is in the middle of a crowd. It would be like this, but don't get confused, I'm not Jesus. But it would be a scenario like this where Jesus is standing here and he's teaching everybody and then through the doors, loudly, the Pharisees and the teachers of laws, they grab her by the arm, probably naked, as David said, and they drag her down the the aisle and they throw her in front of the stage and they say, there she is. Here's what she's done. What do you say? And all of you, you just sit there and watch. The most frustrating people in this entire narrative that we read in John 8, the most frustrating people to me are these people. At best, they're curious bystanders. At worst, and they're just indifferent. They just don't care. You know what the problem with these people is? They have settled for being close enough to Jesus. They've settled to being close enough. Right? Somehow they've they've decided that if they're close enough to Jesus, that that's enough to give them whatever they need. And to be fair, that's probably an attitude that some of us carry. Right? I'm close enough to Jesus. I come to the church every now and then. I went to church as a kid. I show up at Sundays every once in a while. Right? I, I, I read my Bible every now and then. We say grace before dinner when we remember, and certainly when we're private. We don't do it at restaurants. That's weird. People look at us funny. Right? Because when you pray at a restaurant before your meal, invariably that's when the waitress comes up right? Just right there. You're like, we don't want to do that. That's weird, right? But, but we're close enough to Jesus. I know enough about what the Bible says. I, I believe that he's real. And so we have this cursory connection. A lot of times we are like the bystanders here. We're just indifferent. Maybe we don't know what the Bible says about what it means to follow Jesus because we've never bothered to open the Bible and read it. Maybe we know what the Bible says about following Jesus because the, the pastor says something or, or you know, people tell us, but, but we don't think it really matters that much. We're close enough and we feel like that's good enough. The problem is Jesus very clearly deals with this. Look, he says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And this, these are the saddest things in Scripture right here to me. On, on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. You know what that means? We sat in church and we sang songs about you every now and then. Wasn't that good enough? Right? We, we cast demons in your name and we performed miracles in your name. We gave our offering. We went out and did some community service. We did some things in the name of Jesus. Isn't that good enough? And what Jesus says is tragic. He says, but I will reply, man, I never knew you. You were never with me. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Listen to me. Listen very carefully. You can't settle for proximity when it comes to Jesus. With all due respect, you're in or you're out. And those aren't my words, man. Those are, those are the words of the God of heaven and earth. Um, God made flesh who died for you because he loves you like crazy, who sees past the accusations. He sees past your mess. He sees past your bowl of mustard ice cream. And he says, man, I, I want to give you a new one. I, I want to make that new. He sees past that, but he says, look, man, you, you can't settle for proximity. And if you were indifferent about me, then you're not following me. We keep going. The teachers and leaders were moralistic. Keep going in John 8. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? Right? And so these people were being very, very moralistic. What that means is that they were sure that they had the moral high ground. Why? Because none of them had been caught in the act of adultery. And so what they were sure of is that maybe they weren't great, but they were not that bad. And frankly, some of us have that problem too. Right? We're like, well, you know what? Sometimes I'm a jerk, but I'd never hit somebody. Well, sometimes I'd hit somebody, but only if they really deserved it. Right? Or, or you know what? Um, I would never cheat on my wife. I only look at pornography. That doesn't hurt anybody. I only flirt with the girl at work. That doesn't hurt anybody. Right? And so what these guys would say as they brought her and they threw her on the floor in front of Jesus is, look, she's worse than we are. We might be a little bit messed up, but she's way messed up. We have the moral high ground. We're better than she is. We do that stuff all the time, right? I may drink a little, but that guy gets drunk, right? I may... You know, you know, I may not be the easiest guy to get along with, but, but you know what? I'm not him, right? You know, maybe, maybe I, I'm, I'm doing things that the Bible says don't do, but I didn't do that. And what we start to do is we start to be moralistic. We start to grade the sins out. And what we assume is, because we're better than most people, that 
They deserve judgment and condemnation. We don't. Right? They're people that God will have to deal with. Not us. We assume we're going to be okay just because we're good people. Listen, I don't know all of you. I know most of you. And I can proudly say that most of you are good people. You're good people. I mean, you're here at church on Easter Sunday, right? You're good people. But you're not good enough. Not the standard that Jesus gives. The problem with being moralistic is that it completely misunderstands. The problem with being moralistic is I look at my bowl of ice cream and I think, well, I only put one serving of mustard in there before I stirred it up. So if I have to eat it, it will taste better than, than this lady who had like 10 servings of mustard in hers. She stirred it up. Mine is just a little bit off-white. Hers is just plain yellow. So I think mine's better than hers, right? So I'm going to be okay. God doesn't have to take care of me. God doesn't need to give me a new bowl. Mine is going to be okay. But you know what? It's still not what it was supposed to be. And God doesn't tolerate close enough. This is where he says, David said it, take the speck out of your own or the plank out of your eye so you can help your brother or sister with a speck. Here's what Jesus says about this, right? He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Listen to me carefully. I have never killed anyone. Who's with me? Even if you can't raise your hand, raise your hand, because otherwise it gets weird. You can put it down now. But I clearly see that you have not killed anyone. Here's the deal, though. Here, here's the thing. In God's eyes, I'm as guilty as it gets. I'm as guilty as it gets because I have been angry in my heart at people. I have called some people an idiot. I have gone so far in my hubris and stupidity to curse people. I'm guilty, right? I don't have any moral high ground when it comes to Jesus. Keep going. He says this in Sermon on the Mount too. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed an adultery um, committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen to me. I have not cheated on my wife. But, I mean, are you, am I really going to stand before you and tell you that I've never had lust in my heart? Sure I have. And so here, here's the problem. When I take the moral high ground, right, the first group was indifferent. They settled for being close enough to Jesus, and that's not good enough. Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. This group, they're being so moral that they think, I don't need a savior. I don't need salvation because I'm basically a good person. And God won't judge basically good people, except scripture tells us that we're not basically good, right? And when I stand up here, you know what? I'm absolutely right from a human 
perspective. When I get angry, nobody's coming to arrest me and throw me in jail. When I have lust in my heart, right, I'm not getting a divorce and I'm not ripping my family apart. So temporarily, the consequences are less. Spiritually, they're just as devastating. Being close enough to Jesus doesn't work. Um, Being moral doesn't work because here's the deal. Here's the thing we're told. Sin is sin and it separates us from God and we are all equally in need of a savior. That's it. We are. If you're here this morning, I don't care how good you are, you are in need of a savior. And I don't care how close to Jesus you feel because you come to church or because you uh, made a profession of faith at one time or because you got baptized when you were a baby or because you took communion or because you said a sinner's prayer. Proximity doesn't matter, man. Are you following? And then we get to this, this last thing here. The teachers and the leaders, not only were they moralistic, but they were manipulative, right? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So um, Pastor David covered this a little bit, but here's the deal. They were trying to trap him. They were being manipulative. Man, I confess to you that sometimes I get angry. I don't settle for proximity. I'm all in on Jesus, but I, I I do get angry and I do have sin. And so sometimes I do try to take the moral high ground that I don't really get to have if I listen to Jesus. But what happens in this one is I'm really bad at this one. Manipulative. You know why? Because I can argue really well. I don't even have to be right. And I can probably argue with somebody and win. That's great when you're in high school debate. Not terrible if you're a lawyer. It's not awesome anywhere else. And so just because I can argue well and convincingly and maybe i know more bigger words and i can craft this really good argument that you can't get past it doesn't make me right but we do this there's a lot of people here maybe a lot of people that we deal with um, and they may be completely wrong but man they're their internal legal team kicks into overdrive and they can defend themselves really, really well. I hear it all the time. You know, like, like when, when I have to have conversations with somebody, you know, uh, and I confront a sin in somebody, their legal team has worked overdrive to tell me why it's not their fault or why in this instance it should be excused. Well, that's just, that's just you know, I'm just a woman being a woman, Right? Like, I heard this twice in the last two weeks, you know, when, when confronting rumor and gossip. That's just how women are. Well, you know what? It's not how godly women are. Men who, who are lusting and looking at things they shouldn't look to had this conversation at least once in the last month. Well, I'm just being a guy. That's how men are. Not godly men. Right, But just because I've got this internal legal team working and I can try to manipulate the situation so it makes me look better doesn't work. That's what they were trying to do. And Jesus had none of it. Jesus had none of it. He didn't even respond to this. He stooped to his knee and he wrote in the dirt. And David says he, he thinks he wrote the Ten Commandments. I beg to differ. 
I differ. I think he wrote one word. Isn't it great? Because the Bible doesn't tell us, so we don't know. It's a question I will ask him someday. You can be sure. But here's the word I think he wrote. I think he wrote the word grace. I think, I think he wrote the word grace. Because you know what? Technically, they were right. She was guilty. And under the rules of law, she should have been stoned to death. Of course, so should her lover have been. But under the rules of law, she should have been stoned to death. But Jesus, he didn't condemn her. But you know what else he didn't do? He didn't just say, oh, you're fine. You're just, you know what? You got needs. You go get yours. Go take care of it. She didn't say it's no big deal, right? Sexual rules that people try to follow, that's just what religion puts on you. You don't have to follow those. Don't worry about it. They're just being old-fashioned. Just go do you. He didn't say that either. He didn't condone her behavior, but he didn't condemn her for it. Instead, he tried something radically different. And the radically different thing he tried, I think, I think it's the word he wrote when he stooped down and he wrote in the dust. I think what he wrote was grace because that's what he practiced. I don't condemn you. I don't condone your sin. But I offer you grace. Basically what he's saying to the woman is stop stirring. Right, here's what he says. They kept demanding an answer, so she stood up again and said, um, he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and he kept writing in the dust. And I think this time, again, I wasn't there, I don't know, but I'm going to ask. I think this time what he was writing was either multiple exclamation points on the word grace, (laughs) or it was something like this, grace happens here. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was, but, but he says, fine. You want to condemn? Make sure your heart is in a position to condemn. He doesn't say this, but he doesn't have to because he's been saying it all along. My heart is in a condition to condemn because I am pure and sinless and spotless. But here's the catch. I'm not going to. That's Jesus, right? That's Jesus. He says, my heart is pure. I am without sin. I can cast the first stone, but guess what? I'm not doing it. Why? Because grace happens here. That's it. And he bends down and and he waits. And he lets their words take their full effect. They drop their stones And one by one, beginning with the oldest, not always, but in this case for sure, the wisest, apparently. One by one, they walked away slowly until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And that's it. Jesus knows this, right? He could do this because he knows the truth. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There is no one that is righteous. No one. 
There is no one without sin. And so when he says, okay, you want to throw a rock at her and kill her? That's fine, but you better be morally in a position to do so. And guess what? None of you are morally in a position to do so. Reading between the lines, knock it off and go home. And they did. Because Jesus knows that not one has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That was true for everybody in that circle. It was true for the woman naked, laying on the ground. And guess what? It's true for each and every one of us. Some of you know that well and are trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. Some of you, if I were a gambler, and you know, you know the condition of your heart. I'm not here to tell you what's in your heart. But some of you have been settling for proximity. You've been settling for being close enough to Jesus for far too long. That was what the crowd was settling for, and it wasn't good enough. Some of you are settling for being moralistic. You are better than most people, and you know it. And you have a hard time figuring out how God could get mad at you or God could condemn you when you're better than most people. But Jesus says that's, that's, not, mm -mm, that's not the standard. Some of you are so good at, at your internal legal team that you feel like you could talk your way out of anything. But David said it. One day you are going to stand before the risen Jesus and you are not going to be able to talk your way out of anything. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is only one right response, and it's the woman's. She was broken, humble, and contrite. Jesus stood up when all the accusers had left, and he said to her, hey, where are your accusers? And she said, you know what? There's none here. Does no one condemn you? And she says, not one, Lord, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, she could have been self-righteous. She could have made excuses. She could have done a lot of things. But in this moment of humility, all she says is, there is no one here to condemn me. Really what she's saying is, Jesus, if someone is going to condemn me, it's going to be you. You're the one left. You're the one without sin who could cast the first stone. If someone is going to condemn me, it's going to be you. And Jesus answers the way that he will for us when we turn to him and follow. He says, guess what? I don't condemn you either. Why? Because grace happens here. I don't judge you. I don't condemn you. Here's what he's saying to you today. Stop stirring harder. I don't know what you've put in your bowl of ice cream. I imagine it's disgusting. Some of you have put lots and lots of alcohol in your bowl of ice cream, and you've struggled with alcohol and drug abuse, and you have stirred it and stirred it and stirred it, but you can't make it go away on your own. Some of you, it's sexual sin. For some of you, it's anger. Maybe it's gossip and and rumors and relationship issues. For some of you, um, it, 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 could, it could very simply be um, addiction to any number of things. For some of you, it's arrogance and hard-heartedness and pride. Uh, I don't know what you've put in your bowl of ice cream, but here's the thing I know. I don't care how hard you stir. 
It's never going to be pristine and clean and white and delicious again. But Jesus isn't asking you to eat it. In fact, he's offering the exact opposite, just like, just like that waiter at the Chuck E. Cheese place who wants to swoop in with a fresh bowl of ice cream and say, here, I got it. Let's swap it out. Take this one instead. Take this. Jesus is saying to you, come on, man, let's reason together. He says it in Isaiah. Let's reason together. Your sins are red like scarlet, but I, I will make them white as snow. That's what Jesus is offering. It's the power of the resurrection. That's why he came. That's why he died. So that you can be in a position when you fall at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you are God. You are the son of God. You are holy. You lived a perfect life. You're dying on the cross. You've died on the cross for my sins. God, take my sin. Take it away. Throw it away. Give me a new life. And then he says, take it, go. Grace happened here, go and sin no more. And this woman, here's what I can promise you. David's right, we don't know about her. We'll check it and, and when we get to heaven, we'll say, who is this lady and where do we find her? And I'm sure she will be thrilled to tell you the story about her interaction with the son of God who gave her a new life and changed things forever. And he will say, she, she would say like, that I left this encounter and I sinned no more. Does this mean she became perfect? No. But this is the moment where she left her old life behind. She took off her grave clothes and she started to live and be the person that God created her to be. God sees you for the person he created you to be. And this is a glorious reality. When you leave and you sin no more, and you are given new life, and you can walk in that freedom, and it's a good thing. And so here's what I've asked. I've asked Pastor David to come out, and, and he, he's going to sing a song for us. It's, it's a very appropriate Easter song. It's, it's a song of celebration, um, and it's called Glorious Day, and uh, it's, it's this moment. He'll tell you about it, but it's this moment that we celebrate, and, and I'm going to invite you while he's singing, and if you need to do business with God, if you need to figure out, I, I've, I've been settling for proximity. You know, I, I, I've, I've been assuming that I was just good enough or whatever. You've been stirring harder, trying to make up for it on your own. It's time to let that go. As he's singing this song, I want you to do business with God. All it takes to follow God is in the quietness of your heart. Is you say, you know what? I know close enough doesn't count. And I know I'll never be good enough. And I know that I can stir as much as I want and try as hard as I want, but it'll never make it right. Jesus, I need you. And I need to follow you, and I need to trust you. So I'm going to echo what Pastor Matt said. Do I have volume on this? One, two. There we go. So I'm going to echo this just real quick. Um, as we do this song, I would like everybody just to enter into a time of prayer. Um, focus, focal point is not up here. The focal point is between you and the business you need to do with God. So if you are in a place where you're like, you know, I'm in a good place with God, then you know what? Rejoice in that. Celebrate that. Praise him for that. Just enjoy it. But here's the thing. 
if you're still trapped in the tomb, and here's what I mean by that, you're still living in that death of life, man, run out of it. Just flee it, right? So do that business. Um, Again, so enter into that time of prayer as we sing the song. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed, living he
save me buried he carried my sins far away rising he just Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carries my sins far away. Living, he justifies freely forever. See, this is the truth of the gospel. That the Son of God lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life. You want to sinless life, and loved you. There was no reason for him to die because of himself. It was simply because he loved you. Living, he loved you. Dying, taking your sins onto himself. Dying, he provides you salvation. He saves you. You can be made right with God, not by being close enough, not by being good enough. You can be made right with God simply by allowing Jesus's death to count for you. It's a decision you make that says, living, you loved me. Dying, you saved me. Buried, you carried my sins as far away from the east is to the west. You have separated me from my sinfulness. And then bursting forth, living, because Jesus did not stay dead. We celebrate today because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Living, you justified, you conquered death so that I can be counted as righteous. Listen, this is the truth of Easter. It's the gospel in a nutshell. It's the offer that he makes you. And your response, I pray that your response is like the woman's. Contrite, humble, sincere. That trusts that the Son of God will not condemn, but that grace will happen and grace will rule and that she can go and live a life of freedom, freedom from sin, not to be perfect, but to live a life of meaning and purpose and to be united with the God of the universe. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for grace. We thank you for being a God that saves us and cares for us. We thank you for the many, many blessings that we have that we don't deserve. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Thank you.